This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Maj Don are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome, everybody, to Avoiding the Crowd with Maj Don. I'm the producer of the show, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-F-T. And uh, we're really excited to bring to you the next episode of this podcast. And I'm going to introduce to you your host, Maj Don. Maj, what are you doing, man? What's going on? Bobby, hey, Aram. How you doing? Doing good, Bobby. Well, much you got to introduce the guest. I, I don't. Oh, I, well, sorry. Well, I pump. I pump you up. I pump you up, and then you pump him up. This is. This you is a, every. You change every other podcast. No, I do <laughs> not. We keep with this, this, this. We're cookie cutter, baby. Come on now. We Let's got Arm Khan here. <laughs> uh, uh, professional investor. I don't know. Let me. I'll let. I'll let uh, Arham give his own um, description of himself soon. But I met Arham. Um, maybe through Geo, but also uh, actually one of our subscribers at um, on Geo, um, Gerald or Jerry Katarina, called me up one day and said, hey, "You got to meet this." He knew I was coming to a LD conference, and he goes, "You got to meet this Arham Khan guy." Um, and I, you, you're in LA too, Arham, so, or, or California, as yeah, yeah. Um, as is uh, Jerry. And uh, so this is maybe three years ago or so. And then I met Arham there and we started chatting and he's all about stocks and I'm glad we, we hooked up. We've yes, done sir. some work together and he's helped, he's helped Gio along the way with some articles. So Arham, why don't you, why don't you let, tell you, tell us about yourself instead of me doing it for you and getting it all wrong. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> um, yeah my name's Arham Khan. Uh, I think I'm one of the younger guys in, in the micro cap space in the investing world. Um, at least, you know, actively putting my research out there. Um, basically got my start at LB Micro. Uh, my last year in university, I went to one of the conferences and I just fell in love with it. Um, saw like 30 CEOs just give presentations back to back. Um, and after that, everything that I had to do in school was a breeze because I just saw these guys do it um, professionally. So I uh, took that on and I really wanted to do this full time. So I started doing it, um, but I worked some jobs along the way. Uh, worked at a private equity advisory firm which sucked. It was horrible. Um, don't want to say their names, but it, the um, place was dog shit. And then um, after that, went to um, a bank, uh, a Chinese bank, and it was pretty cool. But um, it was not what I wanted to do. I just worked at a bank, did commercial real estate. But I was doing all this stuff on the side the whole time, um, researching, putting out my research, took my vacation days and went to LB Micro, um, got my name out. And then in November of, the, of uh, 2020, I left my job at, at the bank. Um, and I wanted to do this full time, and I wanted to raise some capital to start a fund. Um, about a week or two after I quit, I got uh, in touch with a hedge fund in Canada who saw my research, um, and they said, "Hey, why don't you come work for us? Uh, we'll do you know like a project-based kind of thing. You write the report, we pay you for the research." So I've been doing that for a couple months now. Um, 
but the, so so it works out well. That's that's I get some cool professional experience that um, I would have never gotten because I basically left corporate America, right? Um, but then I got into the hedge fund business in, in this way. Um, so I kind of skipped a couple of years in that regard. Um, so I'm doing that, and it's a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of hard work, but uh, alongside that, I'm actually going to be amazing capital. Uh, put together a bunch of research and then that's the goal hopefully that's the only thing i do in, in a short amount of time great so actually you would attended the ld Meyer cap conference was um how'd you learn about the conference originally uh it was one of those uh well i was in uh in the endowment thing that the school had we had like an endowment they actually had like a like a 65 million dollar endowment and they gave 63 of it to goldman sachs and then they gave two million of it to uh, students um so i got into that uh, to like apply and everything. And then they had things that just popped around all the time. You know, hey, go to this, uh, beef up your resume. And at the time I had nothing on my resume. Uh, I was a deadbeat stoner for four years. But um, it, that that's the first thing I went to. Um, and I knew this is what I wanted to do. And then when I saw the actual business of it and I learned the business of it, which by the way, you don't really see, even if you, uh, you're a top student, you go to uh, Goldman Sachs and, and do something for two years. You you need a couple of years before you see some of these sides of the business. Um, and then at Microcap, all these companies are very uh, approachable, right? So um, yeah, that, that's it was just one of those things that the endowment program was shooting out there. Hey, go to this, go to that. I guess LB Micro wanted a couple of students to be at the conference. I said, all right, let's go. Um, and I went there and then that was that. Um, really that, that LB Micro was uh, really big for me because that's where I met everybody, uh, you know, met a lot of people. And uh, Chris kind of really put me on as well. He, he was, he's been awesome for me. Were you, were you actually helping the endowment find stock ideas and, and manage? Yeah, we were, we were managing the money. We had uh, about a million. Um, and then it was, it was very, um, we had a good amount of uh, autonomy in what we did, but we had to actually write the report and write the research. Um, before we were able to do it and then get grilled by a board. Our board was really phenomenal. I thought, you know, we had some really, we had some former hedge fund guys. We had a 20 billion head, uh, mutual fund manager. Um, so yeah, it, we, we found stocks. Um, I, I put two, I put a couple, well, the team put a couple in and I put specifically myself, I put Square and Alteryx, uh, which had both, both had gone on to do like 500% uh, Square. I mean, Alteryx kind of pulled back a little bit, but they, uh, they, were, they, were, they were good. Good uh, inputs there. And were they? Uh, did they have any types of requirements of how market caps? Could you go to nano caps? No, no. At the, at the endowment, they wanted us to stick our universe with the Russell three thousand and anything over uh, one billion in my, my market cap. So the LD was your kind of for experience in that whole kind of. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I thought I was never going to touch micro caps. Um, I had so much success in large cap. Well, they were mid caps at the time. Uh, I had so much success there that I thought, all right, this is the wrong thing. And I was pretty, that was a dumb thing to think. But luckily I got, I saw everything at LD, saw all these micro caps. And basically what I was doing with the large caps, it translated very well into what I was going to do with micro caps. It translated very well. And in fact, I did the same things, but the returns were better because oftentimes some of these things, can, some of the micro caps can be uh, illiquid. They can be uh, underdiscovered, just undervalued. And, or, you know, there's this other, aspect of it, if they just simply uplist, that's a catalyst in itself. And we've seen that uh, together before with like Crescendo, right? So uh, it translated very well, but at the time it was just all my uh, large caps. And had you developed any kind of negative stereotype before the LD? Did you think, ah, oh, these are all shitty companies? Uh, um, 
No, because I didn't, because because I just when when I first went to it, I didn't really didn't know what LD Micro was. Um, I saw Micro and I was like microchips or something, you know. But um, it was actually companies. And then when I got there, um, saw the court, I saw everything really, you know. I saw CEOs. I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, like nobody else my age is talking to these guys, right? Or even being at this that this uh, presentation. Um, so I thought it was very uh, uptight and very well done. Um, but then when I actually looked up all these stocks of who was presenting, I was like, holy shit, those are like half a penny, two pennies. I was like, I'll probably never touch this. And then I saw like 50 of these back to back. Uh, second conference I went and saw like another 50 and I was like, okay, no, this starts making sense. Um, so I had a little bit of stigma when I saw the price of these things. I was like, like all right, I buy a thousand shares. That's only like $10. But uh, over time, it started making a lot of sense. Can attest that you know you 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 live and breathe stocks. You know, there's a for a while there. You know, I'll, I'll get a text at you know two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, oh, you are on the West Coast, by the way, so you're waking me up. <laughs> Where I'm going to bed around that time, so you're you're good. But you know, he'll he'll text me some like you'll some similar something out of the blue, or you know, you gotta buy this. You know, it's 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 not it's going down for no reason at all. Make sure you get it, and you know, maybe even the Saturday. I'll forget by Monday. <laughs> but. But uh, so I can you definitely live and breathe this stuff, which reminds me yeah. of my youth. I'm glad, yeah, glad yeah. you're really enjoying it and having fun with it. Uh, but what I do like about you, man, is um, something I always notice, but you definitely, you step in with conviction and it's a, you don't, it isn't like wishy-washy. Hey, I like the stock, I'm going balls in and this is why. So, um, which, I, which I've liked about you. So tell me about, or tell us all about your, your research process a little bit, how it, how it works. Do you have any particular areas you concentrate on or are you, you have a pretty wide net in terms of stocks you like? And maybe if you can help us understand what you're doing, how you guys success, maybe we'll learn from that a little bit. Sure, sure. Yeah. So um I guess I guess this is a good story. Um when I got out of school, I wanted I I, I didn't have a job for like the first like couple months. Uh because I was so dead set on doing this. That I said, screw it. There's no job that pays 50, 70k a year that I want, right? Like none. Of, like there's very few that go into this, and the ones that are, it's it's like you know you do. I, I knew the business very well at that point, but I didn't really like some of the positions. So I tried my best to to go right into this right out of college, um, and it was good, but it was also very knuckleheaded. But it was good. Um, the first couple of months, I actually interned at a investment bank, and uh, these guys were straight microcap straight like like wolf of wall street fraternity house like like roth the smaller and, and it, it was like that and and it was uh good and bad for me because i just dived right into it um but it was great because my boss was he's awesome he's, he's, he's a really close friend of mine even to this day um but he he would literally like go around and show companies to people um and half the time he'd be fucked up and it was pretty dope and uh it was cool to see. So what, one of the things that he told me in, in one of his like spiels was you got to look at every industry. You got to look at every company. You got to know what's hot. And that's really what I've taken. And, and I've always done that. Uh, I look at literally anything. I don't know anything about uh, biotechs, but I look at every single one of them. I'll meet with them. There's I knew everything about uh, the COVID vaccines coming out months ahead because I was talking to these companies. I was developing some things. I knew about a lot of these electric vehicle companies uh, literally before they started popping off. Uh, the green 
I knew about cannabis months before, things like that. You see that first in microcap. Um, so I always met with every company. The way I source things in the beginning, really, I, I don't look like I have, you know, let's say I have, I want to put 5% of my portfolio in a high dividend company. Um, I know that, but I'm not going to look around and search for one that just fits that puzzle. I'm going to wait till I see it. Um, and lo and behold, one came up, it was NEWT, New Tech, um, paid like a 12% dividend and that fits the box, but I didn't go out searching for it. Um, at first, I didn't have a lot of people uh, like contacts, hey, look at this company. Hey, we want to show you our client. Um, so it would literally over the course of a year, I'd probably only buy into two or three companies at most. That was it. And, but I would really do my, I, I, I'd wait until I see them and then I do my work on them. And uh, so in the beginning, it was just literally what I saw. Alteryx was one of my first ones. That was because the CEO of Alteryx came and gave like a speech at my university. And I was like, oh, what the hell is Alteryx? And I looked into it and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is a home run. Um, Square, which was um, Square, I actually, back in high school, I would, I would sell Wingstop, right? And people would charge, I would charge people a little bit extra and then bring up, bring Wingstop to campus because I guess our school wanted to have meatless Mondays, right? And people didn't like that. So I brought that in. Um, and then over time, when I started looking at investing, I looked back at Square, like, okay, this is another home run. Uh, and then another one of them is Wingstop. Okay. Home run right there. I, I just told you that um, we, we sold Wingstop. Well, so um, Wingstop is, there were a lot of short sellers in that one too, right? Are there? I mean, there were. You you went against that grain. That was that was nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was very early. Um, it just made a lot of. You're expanding. You got 96 percent of your sales is straight chicken. You can't lose, right? Um, but but um, and then they franchised it out, and and a lot of the franchise franchisees really kept coming back and getting more franchises. That's a really good. Like I like those momentum kind of place. Those beneath the service momentum place too. Um, and then to finish off where I was saying on your, about your question, over time now it's literally every month I get a couple, I get maybe every week I might have like two or three meetings. You know, IR firm hits me up or Chris hits me up, even yourself, be like, hey, look at this company. And I'll be like, pass, pass, pass. I like that one. And then, you know, we'll, and then that's really where the research process starts. You better not pass on ours. <laughs> when when we both look at something and you're like hey look at this i really like it and i co-sign on it most of the times it really works out yeah we had um i think and by the way um so, so bobby doesn't get have a heart attack in the background so you mentioned square wing stop um you mentioned um alterix uh used and, and new it was it any wta or any uh new tech i actually didn't write any research on new tech that was just 12 okay. percent dividend i just bought you still own any of those those stocks you mentioned there? Every single one. Okay. Okay. Now, yeah, I remember that you and I kind of hooked up, um, and then we started talking about Crescendo. I think was or, or was was that Altogen. It, 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 it was Altogen or Crescendo was the first one you wrote up. Altogen. Altogen is a cloud communication company, which is great. You you very uh, I guess you've written up seven stocks for Geo so far, and they've all done most of them fantastic. And you got some new ones we'll be talking about, but Alteryx was interesting because that was um. I had owned a stock at that time. Um, I don't know. I forget the name of the company now, but they got acquired shortly after I bought it. It wasn't the same, you know, it's this big data analytics kind of thing. And um, I think at the time, Alter was selling a, a price sales of 20 times revenue. And then um, the one I got, I got bought out for like five times. I was so pissed. 
<laughs> but, but then I remember you and uh, and I was trying to poke holes in the altrix and I really I, I I didn't really do I couldn't um, even have the high valuation when I was looking at the company that I was buying. But you were actually pretty pounding that table on Altrix a few times. I know that um, you were long, it had pulled back um, pretty hard. I think the first time it pulled back maybe was in 2017, end of 17 maybe. It might have yeah. been when the market was all pulling back. He said, Go, you, you reached out to me, hey, Maj, you got to buy this. And then it, it pulled down again uh, maybe a year or half ago or so on earnings. Um, and then you, you said, Go on again. Both, and both times worked well. So, um, you were just another example you pounded on the table. Yeah, uh, most of these things are, is pretty long term to me. Uh, hold for life, hopefully, but you obviously got to re uh, you got to reengage and look at it. At the time, Alteryx was doing a lot of things that some of the big tech companies are doing right now, which is selling off on no news, just valuation concerns or literally sometimes nothing. Some of it had to do with the convertible debt on the on the books because the convertible debt is tradable by. Uh, and, I, and I've looked at this a lot of times and it's, it perplexes me every time. Um, it's some of the easiest returns to be made, but you gotta be careful. Like convertible debts trade and they add to volatility in the stock. Um, and then, you know, on a day where everything is down 10%, you might see your stock with the convertible down 20%. And that is a function of the convertible debt, the leverage. And on top of that, hedge funds trade this thing to arbitrage it out. So when they got options on all these things, you can sell into the pressure, execute your puts, buy back the stock at lower prices, trigger the stop losses. So that happened to Alteryx probably several times. They had a fat convertible debt back in, I think it was 17, 18. I called it the kiss of death because at that time, all the institutions were piling in. They're saying, you know, we want, you know, they're putting out the research reports, um, initiating coverage on Alteryx. It's already a little late. Not that they're late in the investment. I thought it was still a good stock, but they're pounding the table a little late on something that should have been discovered earlier. Um, and, and that was the story there. It just sold off with no news. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of good catalysts going on. Um, it's a great company right now. The only comment I want to say is the new CEO is a little South side analyst oriented where he's kind of grooming these fund, the, the investment banks. That's the kind of thing that I'm seeing from him. Uh, he's not the same as the last CEO who's more, more so of a visionary and, and, like a real leader. He probably made himself a billion dollars in the process and he retired a couple months ago. So that's where the company really, uh, really changed. Um, and then COVID is affecting their salesmanship and they're trying to figure out how to go back into the sale channel versus uh, distributors, things like that. Great, great. And, uh, and uh, you still, you're still on the stock right now. I, I used yeah, to I, I own the stock, but I moved around my weights. I'm very, I'm not very much in all search right now. I, I still own the stock, but um I moved away the waiting substantially because I don't like, um, I mean, for a very long period of time, it was, it was at least 20, 30% of my portfolio up until, up until, uh, last year in June, in June, after, after COVID, after the rebound, uh, that's when I started moving the weight away. About 13 stocks right now. Is that, is that right? Sorry. You own about 13 stocks right now. Is that right? Uh, that is about right. That's about right. Um, I would say about, Five, six of them make up 60, 70% of my portfolio. Okay, so you take a pretty big bet in a, in a, in a, in a concentrated portion of the portfolio. So basically basically what I do is I have, I have a universe of about 10 to 15 stocks that I really know the story of. And uh, I've been long before and with size. For example, Wingstop, Alteryx. I'm looking at these companies all the time. 
but my weight is always in like you know the the top three four performers among these groups there um and then basically the the if if my returns are really good like uh like towards the end of last year i'll start diversifying into you know seven eight of these names and then when a pullback happens i'll start i'll pile back into the to the the best operators operators okay great now do you have um so you mentioned momentum earlier as a strategy you kind of like, um, but you, you've done contrarian stuff too. So are you locked in only one or two strategies or are you looking at, will you look at a bunch of stuff like a GARP, contrarian momentum, um, restructuring? Will you look at all these kind of things or are there things you don't look at actually? Maybe that's a better way of looking at it. Um, yeah, so I'll look at everything no matter what, but I won't put out research on everything. I won't put my name behind everything um, unless it's like a home run. Most of the times, I'm, the majority of the times I'm looking at growth actually, but I, I look at value and income very closely. I mentioned MEWT, but that's not one that I've covered. Um, Wingstop actually started paying a dividend, but I wouldn't consider that income either. Um, so I look at value. I'm actually looking at one right now for, for my for the firm that hired me. Uh, it's, a, it's a plastics manufacturer. It's a lot more boring, but it's, it's different. Um, I, a majority of times I look at growth, I look at special situations too. Um, but most of the time, almost all the time, really it's growth. And then on top of that, I don't like buying stocks that are like way uh, that the all time high was five years ago. Very rarely. I like buying companies that are uh, in, in a short time frame near their all time highs. Right. I, I think if you look at every company that I've covered, um, I was buying or putting out research at the all time high or very close to it. Which is great because I mean, a lot of the investors we talk to on, on the Avoid the Crowd podcast, you know, kind of embrace momentum kind of strategy. I have, when I started investing, that's how I really started my whole approach is finding these stocks, fresh new highs and finding out why they're at the highs. I mean, there's definitely a lot of junk at the highs too, but if you can find the ones that um, are there for a reason, maybe, and there's this misconception now if you're a high, you can't be undervaluable. Well, yes, you can. Maybe you're you know more undervalued before that, but maybe sometimes the high is a confirmation of the story. Um, now, um, yes, that's pretty awesome, man, and it's it's proven to work. It, it works over and over again. So, um, especially on these restructuring stories too. Like a lot of the times, you have you know, if you, I'll buy these restructuring stories early on, just um, when they're not near their highs yet, but once the restructure process you know starts getting steam and starts doing well. It might be at a tie then I might start piling in even more. So um, yeah, yeah. That's, no, that that's not to say that the companies that aren't at all time highs aren't doing well um, or aren't good investments. Um, it's just a lot of times I like you know look you you do you take Michael Jordan out? Somebody told me this a long time ago. And it made a lot of sense. Do you take Michael Jordan out after his fourth championship or when he's averaging thirty five a game and or if he's got thirty points in the third quarter? Do you take him out? Um, no, I don't think you do. Uh, so the good winners continue to win. It's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's a wealth gap thing again, or the rich get richer. Um, good performers continue to perform. Uh, it's, it's almost a phenomenon, right? It's, it's almost separate from investing and, and it aligns very well. These are operators behind these companies and they're doing a good job for, for a reason. I think honestly, if, if you were to actually look at the stock that I covered, the last 12 months performance, some of these, 1,000%, 500%, I think, Voyager, 10,000%. So, I mean. Yeah. I, yeah. I think we were saying uh, before we actually came on the podcast, you um, all your 13 stocks, 
Now you have um, you have a, a, a PDF here with all your research and some of your stuff. So um, they, where can people get that before I start talking about it? Um, well, I have a list um, on my, I'm, I'm on Twitter, right? Uh, Our Home Growth Cap, A-R-H-A-M, Growth Cap. Um, I have that like as my pinned tweet, just the cover page. Um, and I have, I've always put out like, I put out a tweet or something all the time, like, hey, if you want research for this company, hit me at this email. So that document is not publicly available yet. That's actually the document I'm going to take and show to, to funds and investors, um, Federation Capital. That's, uh, it's like 120, 130 pages. Um, so if anybody really wants it, you can email me, A-K-H-A-N uh, at E-D-E-N cap LLC.com. Uh, it's my email. Uh, you can message me on Twitter. I'm, I'm always on there. I'm happy to respond and then send it to you. So if you if you want to look at look at that comprehensive research, uh, happy to share that. And do you mind if we we share it with Geo members? We'll do that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah thanks. We'll get out there. Yeah. Um, so the do you have any now? So in terms of, now, your fundamentals. You don't look at technicals at all. Are you, are you only fundamentals or do you? I personally don't look at fundamentals at all. Um, short term, yeah. You mean, you, mean, you, mean you mean technicals? Sorry, sorry. I don't look at technicals. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm 100,000 percent fundamentals. Um, okay. Technicals, I don't know anything. Uh, I, I'll reach out to somebody. Hey, take a look at the technicals for me. Um, but that's really only on short term. Like, hey, should I buy here or not? When, you know, when it comes to, you know, do I want to put 5, 10, 20 percent of portfolio weight into this company? It's does the price make sense? Um, really, I already know I'm going to buy the company. It does the price make sense to, to right. go on side? Have you ever done any shorting at all, or just only only, only the long side? No, I, I I have shorted like just for fun, couple hundred bucks here and there, nothing uh, negligible really. Uh, I don't short. Um, just the, I think the only thing I really wanted to short was like. A company that wanted to change the world for cigarettes, but one percent of the company was owned by insiders. I mean, come on, right? So, but no, I haven't haven't really uh, showed it at all. I'm long only. Great. So, I want to talk about some of your your actual stocks here, and let's let's get into uh, some of your picks that you like right now. And I'll just go over some of the ones you've just recently, the new ones that you've done um, uh, on Geo recently. Uh, now, again, you know, you've you did really good with CXDO and Ultigen. So uh, Christian on, on the cloud communication side for us. Um, now you're now you're talking about. I think your your recent ones here look were uh, BOMH was one stock, uh, Voyager, Voyager, right? Another one. So let's talk about. And then um, there was uh, it was ELA. Yeah, ELA. Yeah. So why don't you talk about those three stocks? What, what do you like about them? Help us learn about your process there and how you found them. How you, uh, the ideas originally and um, talk, talk shop. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so BLMH is actually, I think, my only real loser. But that's so far. Um, basically, that's also the only company that I didn't buy after it's up a thousand. I didn't buy up um, at all time highs. So, BLMH actually is a new company. It's fresh off a of reverse um, that happened last year. Uh, the reverse merge onto the uh, OTCQB, or, and then um, basically they came out with actually I got this right here. Um, they have uh, again, it's it's a it's like a pain roll-on cream thing. 
but basically they had a bunch of products that incorporated CV5, which is a, a synthetic version of CBD. Now CBD and THC are not FDA approved uh, components. You cannot put that in a product and market it. Um, at least not yet. It's it's uh, federally it's federally federally illegal. So this circumnavigates that because it's synthetic and it has been proven to show that it affects the same endocannabinoid system. So they got a bunch of health products, right? That's what they're coming out with. Um, and then that was fresh off the reverse. That's when the pandemic happened. They were brand new. They had a uh, retailer partnership with Botani Bahamas and they were online. Then the pandemic hit. So basically there were a zero sale company that did maybe a couple off million in the, in the CD5 business. Um, and then as the pandemic hit, the I, I met these guys before the pandemic and I had no idea this was coming literally a week before the lockdown. Um, they've pivoted into PPE. They've pivoted into face masks. They're one of the largest distributors of face masks and they went into CVS. So they went from zero to, I think it was 28 million in the last quarter. Um, in less than a year. So zero to 100 million uh, run rate in less than a year. And that was all PPE. Um, and that's when I started looking at it much more seriously because it was trading uh, under one time sales uh, and growing literally like uh, five digits, right? So, um, so, so I guess now the stock just has gone straight down since the reverse. They came out, I guess the price was too high, too many shares out. So when it got under one time sales and when I started looking at it, um, and then I put out some research and it's all about, um, they, they started sourcing these things from Vietnam. So they have very good Vietnam partnerships. Uh, the C, one of the C-suite directors is, uh, is Vietnamese and has uh, extensive relationships there. So now they're bringing in more uh, through, um, through Vietnam. Uh, they're bringing in coffee, they're bringing in socks, underwear, pillows. Um, and one of the components of the face mask was the silver incorporated. It had silver in there, and it actually has my, my anti-microbial uh, uh, characteristics. Silver does not there, and, and so then therefore the mask do too. Um, so they're incorporating that into the new products, and now they got a bunch of different lines. They got coffee. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that they got coffee coming from Vietnam, uh, and that, that's all brand new. And they just reaffirmed their guidance of something around 198 to 115 million uh, in, in the year with uh, 28 million in EBITDA. So those margins are, I mean, they're over 20% margins and you're grown to 100 million. So that's the story there. You know, if, if anybody's looking at it now, I would definitely, like I'm still buying the stock. It's not a huge port weight for me yet, but I'm still, it's probably like a 3% weight, but I'm buying the stock on its way down. And when it start, if I see the bottom, I'm gonna start buying more it's um and then when the number the new numbers come out i'm going to take a really close look at that because they went from zero to 100 million in uh in less than a year right so and what's the price of stock right now uh, it's like 30 cents 30, okay 35 cents. Now, i mean there's probably some you know the the argument against the case would be of someone saying hey well look you know this was all about ppe uh, that, that, i mean that was driving revenue um what's going to happen now coming out of ppe so um, how do you counteract that? I mean, I know they have other things going on. Are we going to have to worry? Are we going to have to deal with a, maybe a year here, a year and a half of, you know, maybe this year and next year, maybe subpar growth as we wait for that, the new revenue to come and kind of like start showing better growth on the other, on the other products. Yeah. Yeah. So they got, um, 
got the CVS distribution right now. They got the original line of the CV5 that's now reopening back. Uh, they didn't have anything going on there because of, uh, well, they only had e-commerce. So they're, they're back in uh, Tommy Bahamas and, and uh, other specialty stores. They're back in there and, um, and online. So you got you got that line to come back and then you've got pillows, uh, socks, underwear, health products, um, and and a whole new side of the business that's coming from Vietnam. Um, and that and that and that and those products are not in that current guidance or were they not in that? They're, they're that included in they're included in that guidance. Is it is it part of it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're included. So so that's where like you know you got really gotta monitor this thing into the next numbers, the guidance. This was literally, I think, was it this week or last week? Um, so the guidance is we're going to continue to do, you know, 25 million a quarter or so. Um, and so you got to watch into the next quarter and, and, and forward where the new numbers are indeed coming from uh, versus what they said, you know, that, that this is, well, this is, it's going to come from everything. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be certainly cool to watch it, and I know I we had interviewed the company at Geo because of because of you and uh, one of your colleagues. So, um, and I, I guess we could we, it's time to have the CEO. I interviewed him personally, right? And I think uh, we're going to have him, the CEO, come and talk to our uh, members at Geo. So we're going to maybe if you can, if you can accelerate that, make that sure it happens. Which we'll let's do that. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. probably willing to do it uh, as soon as possible. So uh, maybe next maybe next week we'll do it. All right. Yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, you see a lot of these companies that are in the PPE kind of um, focus right now. A lot of them, those stocks have come down. You're going to have all these investors that were all just in it for COVID, and that's it. Just for that period of time, they got to leave. There's going to be this kind of gestation period of people waiting for to see how much of this revenue is going to stick, right? Move forward. So a lot of some of these companies will become value plays and not growth plays. You know, some, they'll just they're going to maintain a level of PPE revenue for many years probably not grow it right. Um, you know, some some will have that have different maybe solutions and they will see it increase. But what's cool about this one is that let's say they can maintain a now I don't own the stock by the way yet, but if they could maintain like a base level of PPE revenue even if even if it falls off from its highs of just constant cash flow, and then use that to help grow the other parts of the business it might be pretty interesting. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it remains to be seen. It's um, yeah. The valuation makes sense to me, but the story still needs to come out. Um, yeah, and we need to see it. Yeah, cool. Uh, so let's move on to maybe ELA. Cause I, and I actually met ELA at what I think I believe it was the LD uh, LD conference a few years ago. Okay. Well, they were going through some changes, which I'm sure you'll talk about now. So, and what did they do? Yeah. So um, ELA is. Um, I had a I had a bunch of really good conversations with the CEO. Um, he's a lot like uh, Steve Mahalo from Crescendo. Um, honestly, I, I think I I haven't had a better chat with somebody who's a CEO uh, than him. It, it was it was really it was a really good time talking to him. He owns seventy percent of this business, um, and he's been buying at the open market. Um, and he told me he plans to sell none. So what ELA is is it's two distinct segments. One half is luxury re-commerce, which is like gold chains, watches, um, silver, platinum, uh, jewelry, but it's all used. It's not a pawn shop, but if you want to look for comparables, you can look at a pawn shop and be like, this is what they sell. Uh, so you go in there, you, you, you can sell your, 
your jewelry and buy uh, other jewelry. Um, so, so and watches and, and things of that nature, coins, bullion, uh, the the whole you know everything precious metal. Uh, the other half of the business now. By the way, that's seventy percent of the business. Seventy percent of the business is luxury commerce. They've got, uh, I think, five. They got five locations in Texas and uh, South Carolina, one of those states, South Carolina or Georgia. It skips my mind. Um, but they got five locations there. They own some of the real estate in those. This guy comes from a real estate background. Plus, they bought the uh, they bought the corporate office seventy percent sublet. They bought it at the height of COVID, so they got it at a good price. And now it cash flows every quarter and gives them net income, uh, along with paying off the lease, right? So um, plus the CEO is like half the debt too. So this guy, he he's in. Um, so so they got very little debt outside of him. And then um, the other half of the business is very interesting. Is um, uh, it's it's an ESG component. It's got uh, it's recycle. It's recycling of um, basically IT recycling of phones, um, solar panels. Take all that in, scrape out the metals, and then dispose of them. Now that's the very interesting. Let me go back to the gold. The gold is pretty stable, but. Um, it also has a lot to do with the price of metals, volatility in these prices. So um, he actually told me demand was actually double what it was most times of the year when that whole Reddit silver thing went off. But that really only lasted for a week. So that side of the business grew a lot over COVID because people had some extra money. They were shut down for a little, about, a little while, but when they opened up, they had a record quarter um, of like 28 million sales. And uh, and 3 million, that, that, that quarter after the reopening was phenomenal uh, and the stock didn't move. And that's when I put out my research. Um, so so that, that's a pretty stable business, but it's uh, volatile with the prices and, and the trends uh, and disposable income. We didn't, have, um, we didn't have any new stimulus checks come out in Q4. Actually, we probably had it in the last week of Q4 um, or something like that. So, um, so, then, so Q4 was good, but not good as Q3, but it, it, it's good. Now the other thirty percent of business is the recycling. Now that's that's a decade long runway for growth. You got solar panels that were first deployed in 2000, 2005. They got 25, 20, 25 years of useful life, and they got to come off. They got a lot of raw material, uh, material in them. They got uh, metals, so they got to get thrown out. But they don't get disposed of very well. I got a bunch of stuff in in my report that talks about the waste uh, internationally and in America of, um, sc of scrap metal uh, that comes from things like uh, like solar panels. And plus the reseller, reseller business of phones is actually very big as well. So um, it's IT asset disposition and waste disposal. It's recycling these um, and using them again. These, uh, so it's again, silver and, and components, metals, and then actually disposing them correctly. And the final piece of this puzzle is that side of the business, a lot of, a lot of clients, it's like Amazon, Apple, their corporate clients um, need to dispose of, you know, junkyard stuff. So these guys are located in the heart of Irving, Texas, which is like the most Fortune 500 dense company in the world. They just relocated into there. So they're very well set up to, to do business um, with these companies. Uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, the growth has been quite phenomenal. I think. I think both. I think all segments. The gold grew. I think uh, over. A, I don't want to say it incorrectly, but it's in there. It's like it grew. It grew 
substantially in, in the last couple of quarters. The other side of the business grew about 100%, the, the ESG component. And it's starting to become a large part of the business, like 30%. So th that's the story there. It's it's a- uh, Are the margins better on that side of the business too? Absolutely. So the margins on the, on the actually gold is low margin, but it's good for sales. The other metals are still low margin, but I think it's, uh, it's something like mid teens in the margin. Uh, whereas the ESG component is closer to something like 30%. I don't want to misstate it, but it's, it's much higher and it's much better. Do you think they foresee a, a, a situation where eventually that will become the recyclables will be, be the bigger part of the business? Do you think? Um, see, they're, they're still growing the gold side of the business by opening new locations, but it's not like they're going to open 10 locations in a year. It's probably like once a year or try to modify where it's, uh, it's lease where instead of leasing it their own real estate, so yeah, I do. I do think that eventually that'll grow and, and become a large portion of the business, uh, much more than fifty percent. That, that that's what I think. And you have any price target on the stock at all? Oh. Yeah, um, my my price targets. Uh, I'll pull it up, but I think it's something like eleven dollars. So right now it's just under five. Mm -hmm. It's been oscillating between like four fifty and six fifty for a little while. So I put my research out back when it was like a five dollar stock. Um, so my, my, my price target is like 1170 something. Excellent. And do you think there's anything um, that investors don't understand about the story that makes it, um, that, they, that, that they did know they would uh, maybe look to it more favorably? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the ESG component because the gold, we know what it is. Um, it's probably gonna be like an 80 to $100 million business every year. Uh, we know what that is, and it, and actually, it, it could really jump if it, it's all tied to the underlying prices of these metals, um, gold, silver, platinum, etc. What people don't quite know is, and I'm pulling this up, is, is the IT asset disposition business and global e-waste. Um, that's a very serious problem. I actually have a friend who worked at Walmart e-commerce, and he said he ran part of the business that was reselling phones. And over three years, like the growth was asinine, like over 100% each year. Um, just because people are realizing that it's the same thing. Instead of buying a new phone, you can buy a resold phone, and it's the same thing. Um, so th th that's part of it. But really, it's the, the IT asset disposition. It's disposal. Because it, all these things are going into junkyards, and it's a, it's a problem. Um, that's, it, there's a lot of initiatives out there. And I laid this out in my report. There's honestly so much stuff. In it. This is one of the longest reports I ever wrote. Um, and, and pretty comprehensive. So it's a lot of stuff that's hard to remember and I'm trying to pull it up right here, but it's it's just the volumes of these uh, data centers, for example, they got real estate where they have data centers on there and data centers have to be replenished. Well, they're throwing these all things, all these things away, they have to be disposed correctly. Um, so this is this is one of the businesses that, that does that. They, they take in um, literally any hardware component. Cell phones, we talked about this a lot, um, desktop phones are the last things to go in this uh, cloud revolution where, you know, Adobe no longer has CDs anymore. It's all in the cloud. Um, so now, now that was like 10 years ago. Now it's uh, hard desktop phones that are end of their life cycle. So, so there's a, there's like a onslaught snowball just coming down the mountain for this stuff that uh, this business is going to be primed to, to benefit, benefit from. Now I recall from the, my conversation with this with the company, how um, several years ago, were they running some? Were there some issues running the business? Were there some 
are we structuring that went on here to, to get the business back on its footing, if I recall correctly, or am I thinking about them? Um, no, there's no there's no issue with this business. There was an issue with um, so so no, the only restructuring was when they bought the the thirty percent side of the business, uh, which if I recall, the CEO already had a huge stake in. Um, I like this guy right. like me, right? But uh, he 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 uh, basically that was a restructuring part of it. The only issue that comes up is the CEO of this company was previously the CEO of another company. And that company ran into an issue with the employees. The employees became uh, notorious for some kind of some kind of you know undercover crime thing that they were running uh, through the business. So they got hit. The company obviously got fined, but the company was not complicit. Okay. Okay. Great. All right. Let's move on now to um, you want to do. Uh, we got two more here to talk about uh, Voyager, or we can talk. And we talked about um, what was it LFMD, right? Okay. Yeah, those are pretty quick. Um, not not very difficult to explain. Um, so LFMD is is one of my larger positions. Yeah, I've actually been a shareholder for two years and uh, no, for three years now. Um, stocks have done had had done like six thousand percent. I actually had very little of it in the beginning, and then like we laid out what my strategy is when I saw it starting to do really well. Um, I piled more more money in there. So LFMD is basically a healthcare business. They'll sell. They'll they'll basically in the past they bought um, IP and and patents and products, and then basically just marketed the shit out of it and uh, did really well. Grew into run rates of uh, you know they they grew a hundred percent on everything they had. They had a couple of healthcare health lines. Like uh, dermatology products um, and and skincare, and then they also have a PDF document downloader converter thing um, online called PDF Simply, and all these things grew like a hundred percent every year, or really close to a hundred percent every single year. Um, and then when COVID hit, the growth went from like eighty to one hundred percent into literally like well, like two hundred fifty percent. So um, then they acquired a telehealth business, and then they acquired a, a new um, an ED drug, and a uh, another drug. I, I can't recall exactly what it was. It was like a it was like a skincare line. Um, so basically, the new story is this is a telehealth business that just launched though. So that's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. And it's already a healthcare business now. If you add telehealth component to it. You see the other multiples on these telehealth businesses. This is way undervalued. And on top of that, it's growing, like I already mentioned. But they're growing with two new products. These the guy's bread and butter. I think the brilliance in this company is the CTO, and I know him pretty well. He was actually they were actually a a client of my former boss um, back when they were called Conversion Labs. So I met I knew these guys pretty well, and the CTO is very like the whole team is very very smart. Um, the CEO is also a director at QUBT, uh, Quantum Computing, uh, which is also up a thousand percent. And like he's like 36, and everybody else in that business is like 60. Um, these guys are young and smart. So the CTO of the business has a marketing background, and he's been marketing really well. So with two new lines, um, you can grow those two businesses. The PDF simply is also growing. Like 
if I were to run down every single component of business and say how fast it's growing, you'd be like, what the hell? So overall, you know, the, the, the growth accelerated from like 80 to 200% to 250%. So last quarter came in at 220% growth, and then they guided for uh, uh, even higher growth next year. Uh, the run rate is uh, 64 million right now. And every time they've shattered the run rate into a new higher run rate, every month they read it, read it out or every quarter. And the final guidance right now is 85, 85 to 95 million for the year. So that implies a run rate of over $100 million by the end of the year. And if you look at the market cap today, I think it's under three, it's like 350. So it's trading under four times revenue. Uh, the other telehealth businesses are trading at asinine multiples, and this is growing 200%. Um, the problem that I think the market had this is the stock actually came down over 50% after the tech bust and then the recent earnings, which for the second, second consecutive quarter, they've had a really fat uh, stock comp expense. So it affected the net income. That's not a perpetual cash, that's not a perpetual expense. So the, the valuation right now looks very good um, uh, into next year, becoming a $100 million company. If you, uh, if you took that expense out, on him, would, would they be making money or is it a, a, a better? Like, you're never going to see profitability in this company for a long time. Uh, yeah. With that taken out, you're going to get closer and closer, but the margins are still going to be uh, negative. Okay. They're plowing all the money back in the, in the business, I guess, too. Right? Yeah, it's, it's all into growth. Um, and I have, they've done it and they've, always delivered on it um and into the growth and into the into the um investment uh, close to the end of last no in mid midway last year they made that they, they had an external uh private placement by one firm that spent like i think they made like a like i don't remember but they spent like half a million on due diligence alone um so i mean this is bread and butter growth right here I guess so. Does it Teladoc? Is that the, would that be the? What's, That's what's the market leader. The market leader, right? So they will be they will be comp competing against those guys somewhat. Yeah, yeah. But um, at this point, it's a limited number of offerings. I actually don't know the overall telehealth business very well. I know some of it. I knew of it when I worked in the PE space. Um, I I looked at a lot of uh, venture capital backed. Um, healthcare companies that are now coming public. So that's a very new portion of the business, but yes, that's who they're gonna be competing with, trying to sign up doctors and, and get patients onto that platform. Great, great. All right, and let's move on to uh, Voyager, which has right. done really well for you. Yeah, yeah, Voyager really, I mean, in a month, already 50%. I bought this after it was already up 100X in, in the last year. Um, 100x. So I, I know these guys through LD Micro um, really had a good good conversation with the CEO. Um, basically, this is a crypto broker. I was totally turned off as I was entering this meeting because I didn't want to touch crypto. Uh, but I was blown away. It was probably the best first impression I've ever had from the company. Um, basically, they're they're you know they're a crypto broker. They're directly comparable to Coinbase. Uh, they're directly comparable to a TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab, but that's for stocks. This is for uh, digital assets. Like I'm so turned off by digital currency that I call them digital assets, not even like coins, just because I never want to touch it. But I'm starting to see some of the utility in this thing. Um, 
by the way, I think what some people miss, and this is what I missed myself, is there's this there's this digital asset out there called USDC, which is basically like a money market account. Uh, it's it's one dollar per one asset, uh, and it's pegged to the dollar. It's it literally stays at one dollar. So basically, it's just a digital twenty four seven liquid dollar, and that's important because these guys pay. Uh, interest on the crypto now coinbase is also doing this as well they're starting to do this but these guys have, these guys are paying from six to ten percent interest on assets that you hold so that's bring there's that's that's a pretty uh good value proposition for people who want to move their assets onto this platform and they've grown from 3.6 million in revenue in december to eight point something in january to 20 million in february so you you're you know you're about to uh 10x sales in a couple months basically um, can, you, can you can you break down a little how they make the revenue around a little bit yeah, like how- yeah. okay so the revenue comes from the bid ask spread um the average account size is ten thousand dollars uh the revenue comes from the bid ask spreads basically um and it, it's as simple as that another part of the revenue comes from interest uh revenue and this is where it gets interesting that part of the business is very small and it's all it's going to remain small um, it's going to grow as the company scales, but it's going to remain a small portion of the business. It's interest revenue from taking your digital assets, your Bitcoin, and all the others that you own on the platform, taking those coins, that inventory, and lending it out to banks. Um, there's a, uh, what's it called? Be a, uh, there, there's a Goldman Sachs backed bank that they do business with. They lend the coins out and then Right now, digital assets are very much in demand, so they're getting paid a lot in interest revenue, and then they're giving that interest revenue back to the consumer. Now, what does a what does a bank do with your cash? They take your cash. I worked at a bank. They take it's, but this is simple. They take your cash in your money market account that pays you zero point two percent interest over like two years, and then lend it out to the next sucker for three percent for the home that they want to own. So this operation mimics that of a commercial bank. The CEO of this company comes from E-Trade. He built E-Trade. So they're mimicking this process. So this is very going to transform. And this is some of the catalysts and this is going to transform into debit, credit cards, um, ACHs and wires, sending money to your friends and, and things like that. Um, they're going to bring on stocks. So that that's basically the operation that they're building out. And that's why it's interesting to me because you're going to see Goldman Sachs, you're going to see Morgan Stanley, you're going to see all these other large banks move into digital assets. And they have the money and the brains to do this. The place where I worked and the other commercial banks, they're a little slower. They don't have as much money. They don't have as much brain power. And that's not a knock on them. It's just the way they do business. Uh, they're not going to do that. Bank of America bought Merrill Lynch. And now you can go into Bank of America in any office and walk into a Merrill Lynch uh, associates desk because it's inside. So this is that's the kind of thing that I'm seeing with this company, and that's my overall thesis. At the end of the day, this is going to be sold to uh, probably like maybe a Charles Schwab, but probably a Bank of America or another bank because these guys are going to be late to the digital asset gold rush. Um, so, that, but but at the end of the day, right now it's all about the land grab and the valuation. The valuation uh, last month was something like ten times the annualized sales. That doesn't make a lot of sense because Coinbase is about to come out at like 50 to 100x sales. 
So with that, there's your catalyst there. It's the arbitrage between, and then this is still on the OTC, so um, it makes a compelling case for, for the valuation. Excellent. So have you had some, you, know, you say you hold long-term, and so you'll, you'll definitely hold through volatility as some of your stuff's going down. Have you had any bad investors you've given up on yeah, so far? You're, uh, or you're just sticking, you're sticking with them? Um, no, no. Um, I, for, for the long-term positions, if I put out research, okay, BOMH is the only one that's been a serious laggard. Um, and, but I, I have not sold it. That's the only one that's been a serious laggard, but it's just more a function of the reverse. I think more so than it, it's about getting the name out more so than the business performing. Plus it's being new when it comes to, um, yeah, I hold through the volatility no matter what. Um, but no, I, I've never sold out on an idea. Um, if I have, I, it's to move into a different name, but I still own the, uh, the same stock. Um, basically like Alteryx and Fiverr, Fiverr is, Fiverr is the most comprehensive work I've ever done. Um, that was actually an engagement from the, from the from the hedge fund I worked with. Um, that, by the way, Fiverr—it's a large cap, and that's probably one of the best investments out there right now. But um, that took a big hit, and I'm still holding. It's it's my second largest position right now behind Voyager. Um, and tell, remind people what Fiverr does, please. Uh, Fiverr is uh, um, a freelancing marketplace. Um, it's it's very. It's, I mean, it's 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 a very long story, but. Quickly, it's it's freelancers. Basically, you go on there if you're if you want if you want to make money. Uh, you know, like for example, I could go on there and be like, I will write a stock research report for you for five hundred dollars, okay, or five thousand dollars, or five dollars, right? And you'll go on there and you'll be like, I want somebody to write a research report for me. So you type in search stock uh, stock reports, and you'll find me, and you'll find maybe other people. Um, you'll find, and, and, and then you'll basically, I set the scope, you go on there, you pay me, I do the work. There you go. We're done. So that allows me to augment my income. If I have a job and I want to get more money, uh, it allows me to leave my job and do that full time from the freelancing marketplace. If I want to, um, what it doesn't have a solution for yet. And this is a more of a actually a good thing they don't have a solution for walt disney to be like we want to hire a bunch of coders um let's go find coders that's where we work uh, no upwork sorry upwork uh that's what upwork does but that's more comparable to a staffing solution i go into this in in a lot of detail um because this is the question i continue to get i'm telling people this is not the same thing absolutely not in fact fiverr has the component that they're building in now to take that market share away from Upwork. They can take Upwork's market share. Upwork can't take Fiverr's market share. They cannot because uh, Fiverr, Upwork clients spend a million dollars a year. This is Walt Disney. This is uh, Amazon or whoever. Fiverr, the average spend is, and it's growing every quarter, but and, which is a good thing, but it's 200 something a year per person versus a million. So this is actually a market. This is a fragmented marketplace and the jobs are the jobs are one off projects, right? And they can go as low as $5. And this is the real 
crux of the argument for a job as low as five dollars or uh, any job okay so the minimum is five dollars but if i want a coder and i want to hire maj to code for me and he's in philadelphia he's going to charge me five hundred dollars and that's going to pay his rent it's going to pay his utilities it's going to it's probably going to buy him other shit that he wants uh whereas if i i go to okay so that that's costly for me and maybe it cost me $10,000 and I got to pay Mars $10,000 to do a whole project. Or I can search for the same thing and find the next guy who's charging me $20, uh, let's call it 500. So a fraction of the price and he's in India or he's in Pakistan or he, he's in another country. That $5 over there is worth a lot more money to them than it's worth to us. So there's this arbitrage there with labor and it's uh, quite significant. And in fact, I think, I, I don't understand, I don't know where there's a better fundamental argument for a company, okay? Because when COVID happened, okay, there, there's, I have a list of top 10 freelancing geographies, okay? A lot of these are third world countries and that, that's very good for Fiverr. A lot of these are third world countries. And, and a lot of these third world countries have initiatives, a lot in, in, uh, in uh, Africa, between Nigeria and South Africa, they have a lot of initiatives to get people. All you need to get on Fiverr is an internet connection. So they have a lot of initiatives to teach people skills that they can do on a computer. So, okay, so back to that 10. So before the pandemic, there's a top 10 list. And then after the pandemic, there's another top 10 list. Not only are these geographies growing much, much faster, the top 10 list composition has changed completely to pretty much third world countries. Like you, you would see India and Pakistan, just the difference, and, and, and it's in there, it's in, it's in that document. Difference in there is ridiculous. Give me a second. Okay, so the top 10, okay, I'll, I'll give you the top three before the pandemic, this is 2019. Top 10, fa top three fastest growing geographies, USA 78%, UK 59%, Brazil 48%. Uh, Pakistan, 47%. That's a fourth. Okay. 2020, Philippines, 208% growth. India, 160% growth. Japan, 87% growth. Australia, 86% growth. And then later on in the list, there's Mexico, Argentina, Pakistan, still there. Uh, Pakistan went from 47% growth to 69% growth. And that's a geography that is already trying to push this into, uh, push their world economy into this. Uh, into this uh, this industry of freelancing. Uh, I think Singapore had another very interesting case study, a uh, bunch of interesting case studies in, in uh, South Africa. Uh, no, not just Africa in itself. Ukraine was was an interesting case study as well. So that's the that's the argument there. It's 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 the labor arbitrage. And then finally, this whole business, 80, 80 to eighty five percent gross margins, uh, ninety one percent growth and they're guiding 51% growth for next year. They've always beat those numbers. Um, so 80% mar 80, 80 margin, and they're spending all of it on growth, but they're starting to generate EBITDA on an adjusted basis, up to 8% on an adjusted basis. So let's just call it flat. The entire business is run from literally one computer in Israel. Basically, it's, it's, it's one office. So the return on your assets, return on invested capital is about to be exponential in the future. 
Yeah, by the way, if you're gonna hire me for a program, that's your first mistake. <laughs> not do that. Your product is it's not gonna work. <laughs> but uh, the uh, so, but I'm familiar with Upwork. We use Upwork, um, a Geo, and I, I've used it for some of my personal projects. So, how is again just really quickly distill? How does five or different Upwork? Are you putting in? Uh, who you're putting in? Bit like an Upwork, you go you. you it's put a job in there. You're looking for a job. It could be a project or a full-time thing or a part-time thing. And you, you, you describe the details of your job you're looking for. And then, it, then freelancers will, um, on Upwork, a lot of them are, you know, India and um, abroad will respond that they want to, they want to work the project. And of course you have, you know, anywhere from really $5 an hour to, to your, you know, a couple hundred dollar an hour kind of job, um, programmers there so tell me how again i'm not quite understand how fiber is different than that okay so, I've, never used, I've never used fiber so all right so um upwork is basically you're gonna you're gonna ask people to bid for your projects right and upwork is actually con concentrating on reducing the five dollar an hour wage labor they want the higher wage labor they want the coders they want the programmers and they want the staffing solution or a disney or um a disney uh amazon google um and then when you go on there you're putting in your you're going to put in your resume if you're a freelancer and you're going to bid for these projects and it's basically now I guess the scope the scope of that project depends on you, the person who's putting the job there. The scope on Fiverr depends on the freelancer, and the freelancer sets the scope. The marketplace, the marketplace also, the marketplace determines you know the quality of this person based on reviews and things like that. Um, so so that's some of, some of the things there, um, and allows you know for you to augment your income so if you want to if you want to be a full-time freelancer and you have a job background upwork makes a lot of sense but if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to set the scope of your gigs and your and your projects you go on fiverr and you're able to do that not to say that upwork doesn't work some people use both um it's it's really a different kind of uh, marketplace and then the the business aspect of it which it serves again upwork average client spend is a million dollars a year a million fucking dollars a year. Fiverr, it's 200. So Fiverr is actually gonna be able to, okay, and I guess you fall under this, um, to, to some extent, you fall under this uh, this uh, classification. The, the okay, maybe not maybe not exactly, but there's a lot of, there's a lot more businesses that do than don't. There's a classification out there called a non-employer business where a business does not have any employees. They're not going to be able to not, not all of them are going to be able to go on to upwork and hire a bunch of people for a, a determined project and pay the that pay for that expertise uh whereas in fiverr you really literally know the scope of the entire project as you enter it um and it's been and it's and it's primed to take more of those non-employer businesses uh which are growing in number by the way um some of those numbers are, are iffy because there's a lot of family offices and things like that that probably will never use freelancer but um there's uh there, there, there's that entire classification that i think upwork is going to miss 
mm-hmm. and Fiverr is going to be able to uh, take advantage of. Fiverr is also building out that part of the business where they can take away market share from Upwork um, by basically going after businesses. They have a business platform as well, but it's negligible right now. It's it's brand new. So I'm basically going on the Fiverr. I'm actually looking for something, and I'm actually these kind of job descriptions are already kind of outlined for me to look through, and I could pick someone through that mechanism versus Upwork, where I'm posting my job and then they're bidding on it. So that's that's. So that's the basic difference there it looks like that's pretty that, cool. that, that is the difference on the surface yes yes yeah cool cool awesome uh, yeah go on there try, try check it out yeah. yeah well man for sure this has been awesome well thanks so much man glad you stopped by here and did this we've been we've been talking about it for a long time <laughs> and i'm yeah, glad yeah, to yeah. growing and finding success and i can't wait to and you know get your next pick on geo by the way i do own altogen is crescendo they were um um Two stock we talked about earlier, and I'll certainly be looking at some of Arham's picks after this conversation. And we'll be talking about it on Geo, um, and um, maybe I'm um, having you on again to talk more more in depth about some few of these. So um, again, so again, you can um, you know come to Geo Investing at GeoInvesting.com um, and take a free trial with Geo. We have monthly memberships, uh, biannual annual memberships, and um, um, you can follow Geo at uh, Twitter at GeoVesting, and you can follow myself uh, on Mod GeoVesting. You can uh, email us at GeoVesting at support at GeoVesting.com or email me directly at Maj at GeoVesting. So, um, and so again, Arham tells everybody again where they can find you again. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's really, really uh, kind of a checkpoint in my career, you know, to actually be asked through podcast and that's very awesome for me uh really enjoyed it thanks for having me and i could be found um sort of professionally i'm independent but um you know basically my work is delegated between clients but i'm on twitter and i'm pretty active on there putting out some research here and there it's uh arham growth cap a-r-h-a-m growth cap um that's my twitter handle and on there you can direct message me if you want any uh any research or you want to talk um, or if you want to actually obtain you know, the document that Maj has in front of him, um, you can you can meet, meet me on there. Uh, just shoot me a message. And again, my email is uh, A-K-H-A-M at edencapllc.com. Well, for full disclosure purposes, I uh, would like to add that I am a shareholder of the companies that we mentioned and talked about all regarding my research which include Adobe, Wingstop, Square, Alteryx, LifeMD, Altigen, Crescendo, Novaleaf Health Corp, and Velo Corporation, Fiverr, Boomer Holdings, and Voyager Digital. Also would like to add that I'm not an employee of Strax, but I am a shareholder. Excellent. Thank you, RM. Bob, you still there? <laughs> of course I'm still here. Of course I'm still here, man. No, I never leave. Well, appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, yeah, we'll all chat soon. All right. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me on here. It was awesome. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Mosway Don are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. 
we recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.